0: Looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. Um, Outsides don't always match the insides. What goes on on the outside, it doesn't always tell the tale of what's really starting to go on on the inside. There was one day in history that has changed all of this. Every decision that's made about your health right now was changed by this one day in history history. About 124 years ago, if you had a tumor, if you had fragments of a bullet on the inside of you, or if you had a broken bone, you would go to a doctor. And do you know how the doctor would cure you? He would take his best guess as what was going on inside. 124 years ago, there wasn't a such thing as an x-ray machine. So what you had was somebody who had to diagnose what was wrong merely by what they could see on the outside. And looks can be deceiving. Sometimes a uh, tummy ache just needs a little bit of Pepto-Bismol. Sometimes it needs chemo. November 8th, 1895, Wilhelm Conrad Runchen discovered the x-ray. And for the first time, what you had was somebody who didn't just have to rely on what they could see on the outside, but they could look through and see something on the inside that was impossible to see from the outside. And this invention changed the world. A year later, everybody was using this x-ray. Six years later, he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and he didn't create a patent for it, because he saw the importance of somebody being able to see what goes on underneath, not just being something that could make him a prophet, but something that was the difference in between life and death. Looks can be deceiving, and there's a huge danger that comes when decisions are made only based on what you can see with your eyesight. your spiritual life is no different. Well, really, the only difference is that your spiritual life is more important. We tend to think that our biggest problems are our most visible problems. And our biggest solutions are our most visible solutions. But that's not the case at all. What Jesus is saying here is he gives us this divine x-ray. He helps us see that what's wrong and even the solution to what we think is wrong in our own lives doesn't always come with things that we can see. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus looking at a group of folks and telling y'all, us this is the way to find uh, a fulfilled life. This is how you and I as humans flourish. We find ourselves in a place where Jesus comes to what's the closing arguments of this sermon. And it's the same thing with any lawyer that finds themselves presenting a case to a jury. The closing arguments are the point in time where all of the facts have been put out on the table. And hear this. A decision has to be made. This is one of the most sobering passages in the Bible and I want you to hear it because Jesus' sternest warnings are aimed at churchgoers. Jesus is not talking about these issues of life and death, heaven and hell with people that do not find themselves in a church. This whole thing... While some of it may not be about you, all of it is for you. Jesus is aiming this at people who would get up on a Sunday morning, find themselves in a church, and not have a care in the world thinking that they're good. I I want you to hear this, and I'm only telling you this because I love you. Being confident about where you are doesn't determine where you'll end up. People that are self-deceived, hear this, are confident. Your confidence means nothing if it's not placed in the right place. And looks can be deceiving. So what Jesus does is he's calling for a, a decision is he gives you and I this text. He speaks these words to us. And at the end of this, you see this. The crowds are astonished by his words because he speaks in this different way. And so here's the main point. Here's the thing that I want you to leave with. Listen, looks can be deceiving. So here's what faith is. You have to trust what Christ says, not what you see. Looks can be deceiving. So you have to trust what Jesus Christ says and not what you see he's calling for a decision and the things that he is going to say are going to rub up against your sensibilities three things that he's calling us to do watch your step be careful who you listen to and rest on the rock watch your step be careful who you listen to and rest on the rock first thing watch your step um one of the things that I love about the airport is the moving walkway, right? For everybody that's too lazy to walk in a straight line, you can stand up on this walkway and it'll take you forward. As you go forward, when you're getting ready to hit the end of it, right, the lady comes on and what, and, and what does she say? You're nearing the end of the moving walkway, watch your step. What you find out is that as you are being pushed along, there is coming a time where that movement is going to stop. You're going to reach your end goal. And hear this, you have to do something. You have to step off and keep on walking. Listen, if you do not make a decision, you are making a decision. Indecision is a decision. And if you don't go in the right way, you're going to embarrass yourself. As Jesus gets here, what he says is, look, look, look. It doesn't matter where you are or how stable you feel like your life is. You are on a moving walkway. Your time is running out. You are headed somewhere. You are a clock that is wound up. And every tick and breath that you take is one tick less, one breath less than you had at the start. And what he's saying is, watch your step and hear this. Two churchgoers. We can look at this text and see, all right, there's two gates. There's two kinds of fruit. There's two kinds of profession. There's two kinds of houses. And when we think of the fork in the road, we think people that are trying to live for God, and people that find, found themselves out at the club last night, drunk, they had sex and they just stumbled into church this morning. No shade if that's you, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> what this text right here is saying is it's not aimed at those two types of people. This is aimed at two types of people that are trying to get to God. That are staying away from all of the bad things. There's two types of righteousness, and they look like they're headed towards God, but what Jesus is saying, looks can be deceiving. The whole sermon is aimed at an inner righteousness. Right? You go back, and it's not about folks that pray and folks that don't, it's about folks that pray. In order to get the approval of people. And folks that actually pray to God. That it's not just about the right things. It's about the reason why you do the right things. That to do the right thing in the wrong way. Is doing the wrong thing. So Jesus starts off. Listen. And he gives this warning. He gives this caution. Not to condemn anybody. But as an invitation. Look at the first word here. Enter. He's giving this caution as an invitation. He wants you to find the right way. Enter through the narrow gate. It's an imperative. As Jesus is commanding people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's going around to people that are lost and saying, I don't want you to be there. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to come in. Enter. What an amazing God that we serve that cares more about your well-being than you do. Jesus is saying, enter. But he's doing what every prophet in the Bible has done and saying, listen, the way that you approach this fork in the road, right? Theology is not just about what's right or what's wrong. It's about life or death. So throughout this text, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, 27, he talks about the end of the road being destruction, thrown into the fire, cast out from God's presence, a house that's collapsing. The stakes are high, failing to respond in the wrong or in the right way is catastrophic. And his main point is this, look, Watch your step because looks can be deceiving. And here's his point. That the road that you travel on is no indication of the destination that you're going to head to. So here's what he says about these two gates and why you should watch your step. Enter the narrow gate. There's few that find it. But then he'll contrast it with this broad gate and this wide road. What you'll find out about a gate, a gate is like a doorway. If you're getting ready to head through and it's a wide gate, do you know what you can bring with you? A bunch of stuff. And Jesus is saying there is a way to approach God to try to find life in God. And that you think, oh, this gate is wide. I've got a bunch of room to bring my ambition, all my hopes and dreams My desires, my quest for greatness, prominence, all of these things, and just expect God to co-sign it. But then he says, but then there's a narrow gate. Just big enough for you to go through. And if you're going to go through that gate, do you know what it's going to cost you? Everything. And anybody that tries to take stuff through that gate... Finds themselves like the rich young ruler. God, I want to come to you. I've kept all your things since I've been born. And what he says is, come through the narrow gate. You've got too much luggage, too much stuff that you're trying to bring with you. Sell it all and you'll find life. And do you know what he does? He goes away sad. Because he, 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 he can't fit through the door with all of his stuff. So he keeps everything that he had that would make him joyful. And he has everything. Except for peace. Listen, I want you to hear this. When it comes to following Jesus, the path of least resistance... Is and has never been the path to greatest joy. Noah ridiculed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob infertile. Joseph found himself in slavery. Moses was in the wilderness. Joshua was in war zones. Ruth was in po- poverty. David was persecuted, Job suffered, the prophets were in exile, Mary was shamed, Jesus found himself at the cross, and the church has experienced persecution. The road is, the gate is narrow, and the road is hard. Listen, the message of Christianity is simple, but the road is not easy. I do not know where we've become convinced of this notion that while all of God's people to truly find find life have gone through all of this, that somehow our lives are going to be filled with prosperity, blessings, season, advancement, promotion. All of those are good things. But we don't hold on to any of that baggage. Our antennas should go up when we hear anybody talk about the Christian life in a sense of ease. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. But the road that we travel on is a hard one. And what he's saying here is he's trying to point us in the right way because he's saying looks can be deceiving. Listen, Nobody would pick that road. If I tell you that there's two roads, one road is filled with advancement, prosperity, blessings, fulfillment, as far as the outer life is concerned, and one road is filled with shame, grief, loss, tragedy, suffering, heartache. Which one would you pick? The only people that would ever go through the narrow gate or people that are convinced to give God everything is to lose absolutely nothing. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, um, it's this book where he fictionalizes an uncle demon instructing his nephew on how to sidetrack the faith of people that are Christians. Here's what he says about the road to hell. Indeed, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What Jesus is saying right here, listen, and I want you to hear this, especially those of you that may have come in here with a heavy heart. is that choosing the right path often leaves you in a place where you feel like you've made the wrong decision. Where you feel like God has made a mistake in his leading or you made a mistake in following. And the only thing, the only thing that convinces us that this is, is the way to life Is if we trust what Christ says, not what we see. I think what he's trying to tell us to do here and what he'll go on through the rest of this is that you and I have to prioritize our spiritual life. The inner life. So many times when we talk about Christianity and prioritizing the spiritual life, people often mistake that with the afterlife. As if... To be a successful Christian, you have to disregard all the things that go on in this life and just focus on heaven, the life after this one. And that's not what's being said. As the Bible talks about eternal life, it doesn't talk about it as a future destination, but a present location right now. And so what we are saying is, We're not a bunch of people that are trying to escape the trouble of the world by medicating on some placebo of the afterlife. We're a group of folks that say, no, 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 this is the thing that's going to make me last in the midst of the storms that come. It's a prioritization of the inner life. And here's how we do that. That as you and I speak, we find ourselves as people who are honest about the difficulties that lie ahead, but we find ourselves destination-oriented in the way that we speak. That's what Christ does here. He says, look, 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 look. The narrow road, the right road, the place where you have to leave it all behind, the source of your identity before advancement and achievement, you, you drop all the conditions, but he spends his time saying, no, 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 but look at what's at the end of the road. I'm going to be honest that the road is difficult, but I want to spend my time talking about the desirability of the outcome. We have to be people that are destination-oriented in the way that we speak. So he tells us, watch your step. But what we find out is that... um, Deciding where you end up doesn't mean you'll actually get there. Uh, Good intentions with bad directions never gets you to your end goal. If our goal is to end up at this path towards flourishing in this path towards life, do you know what we have to do? We've got to listen to somebody else. So he tells us first, watch our steps. Right. Don't choose where you're going to go based on what you see. But what God says, then he goes on and says, uh, be careful who you listen to. Look here at verse 15, it just starts off with this word, uh, be on your guard. What he's saying is uh, keep the alarm on. So when folks find themselves in a, a spot like the West End or a place like this, a transitioning Neighborhood. Uh, one of the signs that you can tell that uh, things transition is that uh, sometimes when people who historically haven't uh, found themselves in a place like this feel the freedom to jog uh, through spots like this, then you start to be like, oh, th- things are starting to get safer. And so what folks will do is they used to have an alarm system, they used to have a dog, and then they see, ah, things are starting to get safer Um, I'm not going to set the alarm. I'm not going to keep my dog out. I'm good. And what you find out is that uh, those are the people that are most likely to get robbed. Because things may look safe. But hear this, looks can be deceiving. So listen to what Christ says here. Verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. What a prophet is, is somebody who claims to speak on behalf of God. To give you directions on how you can get to God. And Jesus is saying, uh, there is a such kind of thing as a false one. There is a person who would claim to speak on behalf of God. But you have to be like an insurance adjuster. You've got to know that a bunch of people are going to make claims, but every claim is meant to be tested and verified. And the reason why he brings this up is, listen, he says that these folks, what makes it real dangerous is that the danger is here. It's in this room right now. Like You don't have to go out. This is God's dwelling and we're grateful that we get to come and to sing to him and to praise with him. But it's in the context of the church, as long as the church has been here, that one of the greatest dangers have been people speaking for God that aren't saying the things that God said. And so what you have is a bunch of people that are hungry, longing to go where God wants them to go. They have good intentions, but... Good intentions, when they meet bad directions, just make people lost. So the caution that he gives here is this. Looks can be deceiving. And what he's going to say is they're wolves in sheep's clothing. What you know about sheep is they're soft, they're plushy, they're in all of this wool. And what he's saying is this. I think what he's trying to get at is this. Why we need to be so vigilant is that some of the people that are the most destructive to your spiritual life can be some of the most delightful people to be around. A few years ago, there was this uh, kid, Malachi Love, Rob, I've been saying, you remember this kid, 18 years old, he pretended to be a doctor and got away with it. His first victim, they ask her, hey, what went wrong? Why did you trust this guy? And she said, I went to his office. He was a nice guy and came in. Uh, This is not funny. Um, (laughs) Came in with a white coat and a stethoscope. And what she was saying was, he looked trustworthy. So I listened to what he said. Malcolm Gladwell came out with this book called Talking to Strangers. And one of the things that he brings up is he recounts, uh, how did Hitler get away with what he did? And so he gives this story of this guy, Neville Chamberlain, while everybody else looked afar at Hitler's fruit and says there's something wrong with this guy, Neville Chamberlain goes and he has a bunch of meetings with Hitler. And here's what he says at the end. I got the impression that here was a man who could be relied upon when he had given his word. What he said was he was just such a delightful person to be around that I trusted him. And Jesus' warning, hear this, is that as you and I are trying to make our way to God, there are things inside of us that already war against us, but there are things that are outside of us in here that could be destructive to our spiritual soul. And he talks about these group false prophets. There's a lot of things that this could mean. There's lots of ways to spot them. But the Bible, I, I'm, I'm, I'm clear. Look, look, you're going to know them by their fruit. Their fruit could be character, how they live, or how they act. It could also be the message that they preach and the effect that it has on the souls of people. So backtrack through the Bible. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, what you'll find is God is constantly calling out these false prophets. And it's amazing how eerily similar their message is to one that is advancing today. And the message that they constantly say is peace, peace when there's no peace. So what God's saying is, no, no, listen. There is something fundamentally wrong with how people are relating to me. And there is a group of folks that are going around saying, it's all good. God is a God of love. Which which he is. But they're saying this and negating a whole other aspect that God is a holy and a just God. And there is a presence of wrath. So what's popular in our day right now and what undoubtedly so many of us are hearing, what I know that certain folks here are hearing that has led to the shipwreck of certain folks' faith is this toothless, fangless God. They've turned him into a teddy bear who just wants to love and embrace thinking that somehow that makes God more attractive. And I want you to know it is that picture of God that will send people to hell. Here's what I mean. God is more like a mother bear. When a mother bear sees their cub getting attacked, do you know what they'll do? they'll show their teeth, they'll raise their paws, and they will literally put them paws on you. Question. Is the mother bear a bear of wrath or a bear of love? Yes. It depends on what side you're on. If you're an enemy, do you know what you're going to feel? Wrath, why? Because the mother bear wants to protect that which she loves. If you're a child, do you know what you'll feel? Love, because you'll be protected. And listen, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is saying right here, look, everybody that is on the wrath side, enter in and become a part of the family. You do not have to feel the wrath of God. Nobody does. If they enter in. Do you see the danger of presenting God as if He's this toothless, fangless God? You have people that think they're okay when they're not. But the only way to get okay is not to make yourself okay, it's to admit that you're not okay and accept the fact that Jesus wants to make you okay. It's a narrow gate that's gonna cause cause you to leave everything behind. But it is worth it. I think he says to look at their fruit because fruit is something that you ingest and eat. And its effect doesn't show up immediately. It shows up eventually. Have you ever eaten food at a restaurant, gotten halfway through your burger and said, this is pinker uh, than I think that it should be? You feel fine right now, but you go home and say, uh, "I am not going to be okay." <laughs> what you know is that, now as time goes on, things things show up, and I'm I'm saying this, I am warning and I am pleading uh, with you because in these past. Few years, there have been a lot of people whose aim has been to help deconstruct folks' faith. The problem is they aren't putting anything back together. Be cautious about people that are so eager to help you deconstruct and rip apart things that are plain in the Bible. Be cautious. Be careful who you listen to. Do you know why? Because as soon as you take away God as a rescuer, you start to have another standard for why you should be accepted in his sight. And here is the most sobering passage in all the scripture. Look here. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you lawbreakers, really, really quick. People that want to talk about this God that's a God of love, uh, God was angry and this wrathful judge in the Old testament and now jesus is this god of love it's ironic that when this judgment goes out to cast folks out do you know who jesus says the judge is not this old testament god he's saying he's the judge that they're going to come to him and what he is going to say is you confused ministry with intimacy And you thought that success in one required the other. What he does not say, hear this, he does not discount that the people on this list actually did those things. So it's not like, Jesus, Lord, Lord, they are sincere, they are fervent. So it's not just Lord, but here when you wanted to emphasize somebody's name. You didn't just send them a text in all caps, right? John, you said their name twice. Lord, Lord. So they have the orthodox thoughts about who Christ is. Didn't we? And look at the list of things. It's impressive. Their resume is impressive. Didn't we prophesy in your name? We spoke on behalf of you. We told the truth. Didn't we cast out demons? We made it our aim to liberate people that were bound. We actually set people free and changed their entire destiny, their socioeconomic future here in the world. We did many miracles in your name, and Jesus does not say, nuh What he says is, you did those things. Do you see what I mean about it not being about folks that do the wrong thing and folks that do do the right thing? But even people that do the right thing. What he's saying is this, look. We all can agree on the things that make us feel bad in God's sight, right? I think we can agree on that. If I lie, I cheat, I steal, God doesn't like that. I think the most important thing is not what makes you feel bad in God's sight but what makes you feel accepted in God's sight and anybody that comes to Jesus with a resume in their hand shows that he never really had their heart so he comes up and says oh you thought that the things that you did is why I would accept you Do you see how even religion and doing the right things can be a way for you and I to try to control God? God, I did all these things for you. The least that you could do is let me in. Hear this. The most important thing is not what you do for Jesus. The most important thing is what Jesus has done for you. Everybody that really knows him, when they stand in front of God on that day, do you know what they will say? They will not come with a resume. They'll come with their rescue story. I was lost, but you found me. That's the only reason why I should get it. I was blind, but but you were the one that made me see. I was not okay, and I... Could not have made myself okay. But you were the one that made me okay. One scholar puts it like this. It is. Convicting. How close a person can be to Jesus. And know nothing. Of spiritual truths. This is why. This is why we as a church, uh, why we don't make a big fanfare about spiritual gifts or what seem to be like gifts. They are gifts from God, yes, but those things can be counterfeit. When Jesus said one person from the group was going to betray him, y'all all have that friend that you know they steal. So when something is gone, and it's like, yo, it's been stolen. You know, you all look at him. Hear this. When Jesus said somebody was going to betray him, people did not look at Judas. So what we can assume is that when they all went out to heal folks, Judas healed. When they cast it out demon, Judas cast out them. When they preached, Judas preached and people came to faith. And what he's saying is, the sad thing can be how sad it is to lead somebody into the narrow gate and never make it there yourself. Listen, listen. It's weighty and it feels convicting. And hear this. It should. Th- this is supposed to be jarring. It is supposed to make you say, could that be me? Could it, could it be me? Do I really like know this? Have I really put my trust in him? Is there anything that I'm trying to carry through the narrow gate that I will not drop? It's supposed to do that. But listen. But it's not supposed to stop there. That this gift of conviction is supposed to lead you to comfort. Because if you do find that is you, then do you know what you say? God, that's me. Have mercy. And do you know what he does to everybody that pleads for mercy? He gives it. Elias Keach was the son of a famous Baptist preacher. Um. He came to the U.S. to escape from his mom and his dad. Just he, he was tired of staying with them. When people found out whose son he was, they started to ask him to preach. And he got these speaking engagements. Here's the problem. Elias wasn't a Christian. But he knew that he could preach and make a decent living. He sat in church long enough to know how to put together a sermon. And he started preaching. And then one day, as he's preaching, he stops. He falls ill. People think that he's sick. But do you know what takes place? As he's preaching, he's convicted by his own sermon. He confesses that he's an imposter and cries out for the mercy of God and God saves him. He's convicted. It's not sup- supposed to end there. But but he's honest enough to say, this may be me, but if it's me, God has mercy. Are you here? Do you feel that inside right now? Are you saying, that may be me, but I could never say that it's me. I've got a, a platform. People are expecting to Hear from me. I'm supposed to be this rock. How could I say that? All of that stuff that's starting to go on in your mind, it's just revealing what's the most important kingdom for you. And What Jesus is saying here is, look, enter. He says it to to draw you and I in. The humble ask Is it me? God, if it's me, have mercy. The proud say, there's no way that it can be me. And even if it is me, there's no way I could admit it because of all the stuff that I might lose. But he that loses everything for God has lost absolutely nothing. So I want you to know looks can be deceiving. The best that you can do right now where you are It's just to be honest with yourself. Be honest with where you are before the Lord, being reminded Jesus is saying this to a group of people that he actually wants to come in. He's not saying it to drive anybody out of the door. He's saying it to drive us all to plead for mercy. Good intentions need good directions. Good directions Are a great thing, but they mean nothing if you have them in your hand but don't follow them. So we do have to watch our step, be careful who we listen to, and lastly, here, uh, rest on the rock. So many of us read this last and we think the imperative is I've got to build the right foundation. But what you see in this text is all the imperatives or the commands. Come in verse 15 to 20. Watch your step. Be on guard. This last part ends with this story. Hear this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. What you'll find here is a story that's meant to call for a decision. What you see is there are two homes that seem like they're built exactly the same way from the outside. There is one storm, which helps you when I see, look, storms, trials, things that come our way are not necessarily a punishment from God. Do you know what these storms do? They reveal the reliability of the foundation. They show what's true or what's not. So look, everybody faces devastation in their life. Everybody faces disappointment in their life. Everybody. There is not a single person that has everything that they ever wanted in our life. Everybody faces devastation. The question is, are those things that are disappointing to you, are they devastating? Do they devastate you? Do they completely wipe you out? Or, like disappointing and sad. But your foundation is so firm that even when the worst takes place, you can lose everything but still maintain your joy and peace. What Jesus is saying is this. Look, everybody wants that. 90s R&B to me is the greatest storehouse of theological truths written poetically. So I'm going to read you a little com- I'm, I'm, I'm going you from James Harris and Teddy Lewis. Or yeah, yeah, Terry Lewis, and they say this: "On a perfect day, I know that I can count on you. When that's not possible, listen, tell me, can you weather the storm? Because I need somebody who will stand by me through the good times and bad times, she will always be always be right there. Sunny days, everybody has them. Everybody loves them. Things look fine when days are sunny, but can you stand the rain? Listen, storms will come. This we know for sure. This we know for sure. Can you stand the- What they're saying is, look, listen. Everybody's faith looks stable when life is good. Everybody like Rich said everybody can raise their hands when you get the promotion. When you get the girl or the guy of your dreams. When you get the house. Everybody can do that, but here's the difference. When the storm comes, which one stands? The person that is rested on the foundation of Christ, and it's, and does the will of the Father. The problem is that is reassuring, but it is disconcerting. It's disconcerting because if you and I are honest, we would say, John, I know the things that Jesus has called me to do and leave behind, but look, I feel powerless to do it. I know that I should, but I can't. I know that I should tell the truth, but I But I care so much about the opinion of people that lying comes second nature because I feel like if I lose it, I'll be devastated. I know what God says about giving and that he's my security, but I hoard my money tightly or I spend it on what I want. Because if I lose it, then I feel insecure, vulnerable. I can never fulfill what he's called me to do perfectly. So what hope do I have? If I have to put this into practice and I don't do it right, then what hope do I have? Here's the good news. There is somebody that did it for you. Jesus. Although in this place, He takes the role of a prophet like Moses or all these other folks that have talked about these two ways and instructed us on which way we should go. Jesus is more than a prophet because he's the king and the judge that will determine who comes and goes, but he's not just a prophet. He's not just a king. He is the priest that gives himself as the sacrifice for people that haven't done right. So when the Bible talks about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is he's actually the true and living way. He's not just going to give instructions about which way that we should go. He's actually going to go that way for us. And listen, when he goes through the narrow gate, do you know what he will take? He'll take the fate of the people that have gone through the broad gate so that everybody that would find themselves on that path can accept what he's done. If you don't believe me, here's the best picture that I think the Bible gives, and it gives on his death. Luke chapter 23, 39. You have Jesus being crucified next to two houses that are facing this storm. And these two men that are facing this storm, they aren't going anywhere else for help. They're trying to approach him, and it says this, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are being punished justly because we're getting back what we deserved for these things. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me When you come or when you enter into your kingdom. Two men facing a storm. Both experiencing absolute devastation. If you don't know this, your wrong will catch up to you. It's going to find you. And as a result, what you see is their lives are crumbling. And what you have is one, even in the devastation, his dignity has been stripped. All of what he's stolen has been returned. He has absolutely nothing, not even his clothes. And it's being brought to this point of desperation that leads him to say, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm finally ready to go through the narrow gate. I don't have anything. Do you know what Jesus says to this thief who has no opportunity to do any type of restitution or reparation for what he did wrong? He says, I'm going to the kingdom and I've got a bunch of plus ones. And what you have is this man on the cross who had absolutely nothing. but can you imagine the kind of death that he died? Hopeful. Certain. Hear this. Resting. Do you know why? Because he trusted in Christ's words. The words that Jesus Christ gives at the start of the Sermon on the Mount is this, you Blessed are people that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have nothing. Do you know why? Because they're primed to walk through the narrow gate. I don't know where you are right now. You may be at a place where you feel low, where you feel like you have been stripped of absolutely everything. I was reading in the Psalms this week, and David was praying about languishing and all I could think of was Lord my life is going well right now I'm not languishing but do you know what I was thankful for I was thankful for all you everybody that has been a part of this church especially those in here that have had unsuccessful suicide attempts I was thankful that even feeling that kind of devastation God's preserved you and he's kept you and it is not too late. Indecision is a decision. Jesus is pointing you towards the right way because he wants you to come in. There are a bunch of other decisions that we have to make as we travel that road, but this, friends, brothers and sisters, is the decision of decisions. When you stand in front of God, do you want to rely on the work that you've done for him? Or will you experience the rest that comes from relying on the work that He's done for you? That's the invitation. That is the choice. That's the thing that He calls us to respond to. As the only person who's gone to the grave, through the grave, to life, He invites you not just to follow, but to carry you through. That's the God that we serve and the God that invites you. Won't you come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your words would be the final words. Um, We pray that as we hear from you, Father, we wouldn't long for a second opinion, but we would trust you. He would give us the grace to be honest with where we are, And to know that if we are, that if we truly confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. Um, So we ask that you would do that for our good, but ultimately for your glory. Make us people who are changed from the inside out so that we would be a church that changes the world as a result of being placed and left in it. We ask that you would do that and so much more. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.